Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, he, he wasn't, uh, Bishop wasn't far off when he's, he was talking about, he used the word bar. And, and uh, just a moment ago, I saw this place turn into a Holy Ghost tavern. <laughs> I seen someone intoxicated, couldn't walk. They're intoxicated on the Holy Ghost, inebriated, under the influence, falling out. Amen. Isn't God good? And then you wake up and won't have a hangover. Hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. It was a wonderful time yesterday in fellowship with the saints and the Word of God. And I want to pick up from yesterday and take off into the term of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Uh, But before I do, the Lord kind of laid on my heart. I was watching the news and uh, I saw where you were... Uh, under the attack of all of these uh, tornadoes, <clears throat> and it dawned on me that we're we're just in a season change, and seasons when they change, always manifest storms, and how true it is about even our individual lives. When you get in a transition time or a season of change, personally, you will have tumultuous times. They don't last forever. Thank God. It's the same with church. Sometimes you're in a season of change and tumultuous things happen. But they do end. And we hang on. We recover and we restore. And God still gets the glory. And uh, I just felt like something in the physical out there was uh, shadowing, mirroring something happening in the spiritual. And I just want to encourage you that it's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. Because I know the Lord raised up this church and other churches, not by the hands of men, but by the hand of God. Uh, If you turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. And it's a story about David's life. And at this point, David had already ascended to the throne. You remember the first king of Israel was Saul. Prior to that, it was the judges, you know, Samuel and Deborah and, oh, a female leader? Yes. Uh, Gideon, all the great leaders of the judges. And then came Saul, the first king. And then um, God had anointed David to be a successor. And instead of King, Dave, uh, King Saul embracing what God was doing, he became filled with a spirit of jealousy and set himself to killing God's man. And as a result, as you know the story, Saul eventually reached a point where he was consulting witchcraft. Had he had horoscopes, he probably would have tended towards that. But he had totally lost his vision and lost his direction. He couldn't hear the word of the Lord anymore. And in that last hour, he fell on a sword and committed suicide. And David ascends to the throne. And what normally happens when a new king comes to the throne is that they eliminate or exterminate all of the remaining family members of the preceding king. It was just a practice, and it was meant to um, 
keep any type of coup or takeover or struggle or strife from happening from any of the remaining members of the royal family. And so as with that introduction, David asked this question in verse number one. David says, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul? Now, we would think what would follow would be so that I can get rid of them completely. But instead, David says, so that I can show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there was a servant in the house whose name was Ziba. And he remembered that there was a member, one remaining member of the house of Saul. And his name was Mephibosheth. In verse 4, the king says, where is he? And Ziba says, indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. And King David sent to get him to bring him to the king's house. Now, I, I wouldn't have wanted to been Mephibosheth at that point because he's thinking, this is it. This is going to be the end of my life. I'm o- it's over with. David's got to do what he's got to do. Why was I ever born into Saul's house? Why did my uh, grandfather do what he did? But instead, when he got to the house, verse number 7 says, David says to him, don't fear, for I am going to show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and I will restore you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continuously." Well, he was in a state of shock. In verse 8, he goes, I thought I was a dead dog. So if you've ever used that phrase, there it is right there in the Bible. I thought I was a dead dog. And David assures him, and seeing that he is lame in his feet, he's crippled, he then appoints servants to him to take care of all of the land and to make sure that he always has plenty to eat and that his garden and his ranch and his farms and all of that are taken care of. In verse 13, it ends and says, So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continuously at the king's table, and he was lame in both of his feet. And so we immediately see that this Mephibosheth becomes the target of something we call forgiveness, something that literally blows our mind that David would take such a risk at allowing someone from the royal family who could at some point in time bring up a revolt, but yet instead of giving Mephibosheth what he truly deserved, he gave him something that he did not deserve. And this is the essence of forgiveness, that God calls you and I to grant somebody who has harmed us or who has wronged us the thing that they do not deserve, and that is to grant to them forgiveness. And so when David gave Mephibosheth forgiveness, it was not just in his words, because notice what he does is he takes him from his current residence in Lodabar and brings him to Jerusalem. Lodabar, according to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 27 tells us that Lodabar was a place of poverty. It was an impoverished place. Wasn't enough food, not enough water. The people that were living there were always in lack. But that Jerusalem was a place filled with plenty. And notice that in this forgiveness, God takes, uh, through David, takes Mephibosheth, 
from a place of poverty and lack and brings him into a place of plenty. And I don't know about you, but when I came to Jesus, it was the same thing. God took me from a place where there was absolutely no hope. There was no future. There was nothing there for you. And he raised me up into a place called Jerusalem, a place in the presence of God where there was more than enough, more than I could ever have. And he's done the same for you. And notice in verse 7, it extends because, see, notice forgiveness is not just a word that we speak to somebody, but it's action. This is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. Can you forgive? Most of us can say, sure, I forgive them. But can we act out the forgiveness that we are called upon to do by the word of God? So notice, first of all, he changes and helps him to move from one location to another. He assists him in becoming out of poverty to come into success and prosperity. But in verse 7, notice it says, I'll surely show you kindness. That is, I'm going to give you favor. I'm going to give you a different status. I'm going to raise you up and call you the favored son. Hallelujah. You can see where that's going. And then I'm going to, in verse 7, I'm going to restore to you what was lost. Everything that was taken from you that you deserve, I'm going to give it back to you. Restoration is a beautiful topic, and I wish we had time to talk about it. I'll just tell you just a little bit, and that is that whatever the devil has stolen from your life, God can command the devil to give it back seven times more. You have the right. You have the right to demand what the devil has taken from you in restoration. And this is part of what Mephibosheth is receiving. And then finally, it was to eat. That is plenty. He says, you can eat at my table continuously. In verse 13, we see that manifested where he is sitting at the king's table. Anytime he's hungry, no matter what time of the day, he can go and absolutely eat and receive whatever it is that he needs. I'm glad I serve a Savior who has saved me and has forgiven me. Because anytime I have a need, I don't have to wait till 6 o'clock service. I can go on right on in there at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and receive everything that he's given unto me. But notice all of those steps there. Can you do that with somebody who has hurt you? Can you assess their situation and not just say, I'm going to pray for you. But go into action to help them to change from where they are to where they need to be. Can you also assist them in helping them to restore those things that have been lost? Can you also feed them and give them access to things that they may need? You're getting quiet on me. (laughs) We'd rather just say, I forgive them. Pray for me, Holy Ghost, and everything will be fine. But that's not how forgiveness works. It means that go, we go into action and we begin to give somebody what they don't deserve. Now, the, the, uh, the model or the principles of forgiveness are given to us from the actions of Jesus Christ as he forgave us. Now, first of all, let me tell you how important it is for you to forgive. Did you know when you forgive, it releases you from the prison that you put yourself in? If you feel boxed in, you're, you're, you're in a rut, you can't get out, life has become miserable, check and see if maybe there is a bit of unforgiveness that you have harboring in your heart 
and find out that everything you hold against the other person, first of all, they don't know about what you feel. Number two, they're unaffected by what you feel. And number three, the only one that is being affected by it is you yourself. You have imprisoned yourself by the unforgiveness. Second of all, it opens when you forgive. It opens a door to a new beginning for you, a new life, just like it did for Mephibosheth. He went from nothing to everything because somebody gave him forgiveness. And you will also know that David became one of the most successful kings in war of all kings put together. Part of it was because of his love for God. And second of all, because he could grant forgiveness to people that didn't deserve it. It is also the key to healing your damaged emotions. It also will lead you to a healthier life. Some of those illnesses that we have that the doctor just prescribes this, prescribes that, tries this, tests that, and really can't come to a conclusion that there's anything wrong, probably it's not physical, it's emotional. And that your body is simply reacting to what is going on on the inside. Do yourself a favor, a favor, give yourself a checkup and forgive those people that you think have hurt you or have hurt you and find freedom in your own life. It'll also give you a restored mind. Sometimes our minds are tormented and we don't know why. All right. Now, what is forgiveness? Let's look at God for a moment and what he's done for you and me. Because if anybody has done anything in forgiveness that is the model, it's God and what he's done for us. Is there anybody in here that deserved to be saved? Is there anybody in here that walked up to God and said, you need me because, you know, I got this and I've got that. We all came crawling to him. We all came to him when our lives were shattered and broken. We came to him offering him absolutely nothing, recognizing that all of our righteousness was as filthy rags, and he gave us something that we didn't deserve. Mm. And the first thing about forgiveness is it is costly. It is going to cost you something. If it's easy to do, it's not forgiveness. If it's going to cost you something, it cost Jesus being scourged with a whip, a cat of nine tails filled with, with lead, glass, rocks. As they ripped open his back, they put a crown of thorns on his head. They beat him with their fist. His own disciples abandoned him. His own people rejected him. He went to the cross and was crucified all because he was giving us what we didn't deserve called forgiveness. It will cost you everything when you reach out to grant forgiveness. However, in the midst of it all, you will be able to say like Jesus, it is finished. This war on the inside is over with and restoration can begin to take place. Hallelujah. It's costly. It hurts. And second of all, it's risky. It's risky. Because, you know, they may say, I don't accept it. They may use it against you. It makes you vulnerable. 
We would hope that you would walk in there, grant forgiveness. The angels would start singing. The skies would open up. The sun would shine. You'd love each other. Everything would just be wonderful. But the truth is, it may not happen like that. In fact, they may use it against you. You know, they came crawling back to me. I told you they were wrong. I told you. And they may stab you some more. But forgiveness isn't about them. It's about you. It's about releasing yourself from that prison that you're finding yourself in. They may say, absolutely not. You know, Jesus was rejected as well. Not everybody has accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. Not everyone has accepted him as Lord. The Jewish people still see him as a, as a lunatic. And it was to them that he came. But he still granted them forgiveness and risked it all when he went to the cross. And thank God he did risk it all because as a result, you and I are a product of that. Hallelujah. And then in his forgiveness, it became real action. Real action. So it was costly, it was risky, but it was real in its actions. Do you know when Jesus granted our forgiveness... Little did we know what was happening up in heaven. We're just people on this earth. We were living our lives. We didn't have any direction. And all the while back there 2,000 something years ago on a lonely hill of Calvary while Jesus was dying on the cross and he ultimately said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then he ultimately breathed out his last breath saying it is finished and it was over. That is nothing else needs to be added to it. It is absolutely complete. What had happened at that instant is recorded in Psalms 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, for he has given me great benefits. And a part of that benefit package is he forgives all of my iniquities, not half of them, not some of them, not just the ones in the past, not just the ones now, but also the ones that I commit into the future. He has forgiven me of all of my iniquities. Some of you have beaten yourself down because you failed God. Let me tell you, he already gave you forgiveness on that cross. Just reach up and receive it in the name of Jesus. And he heals all of my diseases. He heals all of my sorrows. He has given it to me already at the cross. Hallelujah. Micah the prophet jumped in on it and he said that God has taken our sins and he's cast them into the sea, into the depths of the sea. And some preacher said he put a sign on there said no fishing because we can't find them anymore. They're gone. They're completely finished and and over with. David jumped back in there and he said as far as the east is to the west, so far has he separated my sins from him. I don't know about you, but we can go north and eventually go south. But if you start going east, you will never go west. Not until you stop and turn around. And God said, as long as as far as the east is to the west, so far has our sins been separated from him. He doesn't remember them anymore. It's as if we are absolutely perfect and have been perfect all of our life. 
I don't know about you, but I can shout and praise and thank him because my sins have been forgiven. He has given me what I didn't deserve. I didn't deserve it. I didn't even know he was doing it. But God gave me exactly what I needed in the time that I needed it and forgave me of all of my sins. In whom the Son is set free, we are free indeed. The devil might try to take you back. devil might try to remind you of what you are, what you used to do, what has happened in your life. But you tell him, I don't remember it either. You go talk to God. You go talk to him. Because he's the one that has forgiven me of all of my sins. Hallelujah. Mm. Now here comes the hard part. Why do we need to forgive? And you, if you've got your Bibles, let's look here. Matthew chapter 18. And some of these are hard words. They're easy if you just give up. But they're hard words if you're trying to hang on to that unforgiveness. Well, you, Dr. Cop, you don't know. You don't know what I've been through. You're right. And even if I did, there's nothing I could do. You're looking at the wrong one. You need to go higher up to the great physician. Matthew chapter 18, verse 22 through 35. Listen closely. It's the parable of the unforgiving servant. And he talks in the terms of this parable and talks about a servant that owned, owed a, a, his a king a certain amount of money. And he knew he wasn't able to pay according to verse 25. And so uh, he was going to be sold into slavery, him and his children. Verse 26, the servant falls down before the king and says, please have patience with me. I will pay it all to you. And that was a lie. He wasn't going to be able to pay it in 10 lifetimes. But verse 20, you know, that's how we are with God. I'll, I'll live right, God. I'll do it right. And God's looking at you like you're never going to live right. And he don't mean it mean. He just knows who we are. He knows our great, great, great grandfather, Adam, and knows who we are. And the, the master was moved with compassion and actually forgave him. That's the word, forgave him the debt. Somebody owes you a debt. A debt. And this man forgave him. So then the servant goes out and he finds someone who owes him money. And it's not a lot of money compared to what he owed but he turns and he takes him and and starts to have him beaten for this little bit of money now he he received something he didn't deserve but he wasn't going to give something to somebody else so he became the unforgiving servant and so when the other master heard about it he says to him after i forgave you all of that you are not going to forgive him of that little bit? It's a good question. How is it that we who have received such a great salvation, forgiveness of all of our sins, have the audacity to sit and have unforgiveness to anybody else? It doesn't make any sense because this is our story. We're the ones that came to God and said, I'll pay you, I'll pay you. And God knew we could never do it. And he forgave us. And then we turned around and hold somebody in debt emotionally or for something they said or something they did or didn't do. And we hold them in that place. Now, here's the danger of it. Look at verse 
34, the master who had forgiven him was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So he, he spent his life being tortured for the rest of his life. Notice in verse 35, and so my heavenly father also will do this to you. If you do not forgive your brother his trespasses. And ladies and gentlemen, it's in red. (laughs) That means it came out of the mouth of Jesus. So in case you think somebody wrote that in there, it's in red. It's a hard word. It's a harsh warning. That we, even though we are believers, can be turned over to torturers who have the right then to torture us simply because we will not forgive. You see, what I said is that when you forgive, you release yourself from prison. And and that's what I'm pointing to here is that when I hold unforgiveness against somebody... And I harbor it in my heart and I refuse to give them what they don't deserve, but I should give it to them. What happens is I find my life beginning to spiral, my earthly life beginning to spiral. Torturers will come and eat up my finances. I don't know why all of a sudden I make this much, everything was comfortable, and all of a sudden I can't make ends meet. It seemed like everything starts to go wrong and shouldn't be going wrong. And just when I'm getting a little more ahead, it seems like something pops up and takes that away. It's a torturer. We have allowed them. So we come to church, we tithe more, and we don't understand why. If he opens the windows of heaven, it doesn't come. I'm tithing. You should continue to tithe. But notice, if you have unforgiveness, your, your prosperity is at risk because of the unforgiveness in your heart. It might be health. It might be parenting. It might be issues in the home. It might be a relationship. It might be your performance on the job. But we have allowed it to happen simply because we refuse to forgive. Now you're getting quiet on me. Chapter 18, same chapter, verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, who? You go. Now, see, the way we do it here is he got to come back to me. He did me wrong. I'm not going to him. He's coming to me. But the word says, you go. Tell him his fault between you and him alone. Now, that doesn't mean you stop off at 10 different houses and tell them. Because now you have more forgiveness you're going to have to get. You go by yourself to confront him. And if he hears you, you have gained your brother. You have restored your fellowship. You have gained your brother. uh, Then Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew is full of 
admonitions about the importance of forgiveness. Chapter 6, verse 12. It is the Lord's Prayer. And he says, and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And if we really didn't get that clear, it explains it in verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So if we didn't get it in verse 12, we're really getting it in verse 14. And that is that when I sin, and I, we all do, uh, omissions and commissions, when we come to him for, for forgiveness, he cannot grant it into our life as long as I have unforgiveness towards somebody else. Am I reading that right? And therefore, I find myself under this, loom, this gloomy cloud of guilt, and I can't seem to get free, and I keep asking for forgiveness, and I even go get counsel about it, and I can't get free, and the answer is because I have not granted forgiveness to someone that I need to grant it to, I have now locked myself in to not receiving what I need, and that is forgiveness. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You think the organ would help? Maybe. <laughs> Give me a little key of G there. Chapter 2, 2 Corinthians. Verse 10. Now this is kind of interesting because in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, there was a man who had come into the fellowship and he hadn't been discipled very well. So he, he thought it okay to go to church, fellowship, and then after church, run down to the temple of prostitution and worship there. And so uh, they, some of the people came and confronted him about it. That was back in the days of Corinth. And, and they confronted him about it, and he, he didn't think there was anything wrong. And so he continues to practice, and because he doesn't uh, come underneath the discipline, they have to put him out. So they put him outside of the fellowship in order for Satan to give him instruction, and, and hopefully he will save his soul. So sometimes Satan is an instrument of your salvation. He's allowed to beat us to a pulp until we just get it and say, I'm, I'm out of here. Go back to God. <laughs> so in 2 Corinthians, this man has now reached a point where he can't take it anymore. He recognizes his fault. He goes back to the church in order to restore fellowship and to ask for forgiveness and get everything straight in his life and do what he's supposed to do. And guess what? They won't let him in. <laughs> they won't forgive him. They had put him out. That's it. We're done. So Paul tells them in 2 Corinthians 2 and 10, he says, Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For indeed, I have forgiven, I have forgiven anything. I have forgiven that one for your sakes at the presence of Christ. So he's telling them, you need to forgive this man. Let him back in the church. Come on. <laughs> they wouldn't let him in. Poor guy, he's trying to come back to God. And like, no, no, you had your chance. 
And we do that even in our homes. Oh, you had your chance. We do that with our friends. Uh, that's it. You're off. You, I'm, I'm deleting you. I'm, I'm unliking you now. You're off my Facebook. You out. Like that's really going to be painful. And so he had been deleted. And Paul was telling him, put him back in. Put him back on your like list, your friend list. And here's why. Verse 11, because Satan can get an advantage against you. For we are not ignorant of his devices. So there it is. There are devices that Satan has. He has strategies. He has action plans. And he lays them out there. Traps, so to speak. One time I was in a church and I was actually going to preach about the devil's traps. And um, I thought this would be cute to take a mouse trap in there and uh, use it as a visual. And so I had it all ready to go and was just going to snap it with a pencil. And when I did, it snapped my finger in front of all those people. And I was that close to, to losing my salvation. <laughs> oh, boy, that hurt. So no more illustrations. But he has tactics. He has devices. He has plans. And one of them is, is to cause strife amongst the brethren misunderstandings we hear things that really weren't said and he embellishes them and we hear people come along and tell us what someone else said instead of checking it out and going to find out we believe it and we start to bite the bait and before we know it we start to find a root of bitterness growing inside of us about someone and they don't even know there's anything wrong but they notice that when you come in you don't talk to them they notice that when you walk by them, that you don't invite them to certain things or they, they ignore you, and, and they, but they don't really know anything's wrong. But what then happens is, if I'm reading this right, Satan says, good, I've got a legal right now to take a place in your life. And he begins to take a spot in your emotions and begins to antagonize you. He might take it in your physical being and start to bring illnesses and sickness. He may take a spot in your mind and start tormenting your mind. He might find a spot in your sleep and start messing with your sleep. He'll find a place in your life to begin tormenting you simply because we have opened the door to him by not forgiving. Can you see how important this is to the health of the body of Christ? That we can't be giving health to the world when we're unhealthy ourselves. How can we preach the healing of damaged emotions when we're not even willing to give up unforgiveness out of our own life? When we are the people, we are the redeemed, we are the ones that God has saved and set forth into the world to show them, look what God can do. This is what I was. I was in Lodabar, but look what God has brought me into, into Jerusalem. I had nothing. I have everything. I once was sick, but now I'm healed. I once was blind, but now I can see. And it's all because of Jesus who has forgiven me of all of my sins. Hallelujah. And the last one is Mark eleven twenty four. 24. 
Mark 11 and 24. Therefore, I say, whatsoever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. What a powerful. Did you hear what that says? Anything. If you just believe it, it's get ready to receive it. And then he continues and, and says, and there's the word and. Whenever you stand praying. If you have anything against anyone. Y'all didn't know that was in there, did you? You just, I believe. Confess right. But while you're praying, the word says, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Forgive him that your father in heaven may also forgive you. And what he's saying there is that you will find that your prayers will not be answered until you can forgive. So if you find yourself petitioning God and wondering why you're not getting any answers, part of it may be unforgiveness. So what he's saying is that when you get ready to stand and pray to ask anything according to his name and get ready to receive it, that at that moment when you begin to pray, search your soul. If there's anyone you have anything against, stop your prayer, go find that person, restore the relationship, then come back and finish that prayer and get ready to receive. Forgiveness is that important. It is the essence of everything that we are in Christ. It's who we are in our, in our testimony to the world. It is not easy. And some of you have been through some horrendous things. Some painful things. You can't really tell it today because you look so bright and fresh because God has saved you. But deep inside, there's a place, there's a hall of pain that you have harbored those hurts and really you can't get free. Part of the reason is because we haven't been able to forgive the perpetrator, the one, because we said it's not fair. It's not fair. That person did this to me and they need to pay the price. And here they are. It looks like they're always buying new cars. They've got a nice house. Seem like life is just going their direction. And here I am in pain and I didn't do anything. I'm the victim. That person, that person, that person. And really, you don't realize it, but you have imprisoned yourself. That it's not up to us to determine what the other person experiences. But it's up to us to find the peace of God inside. It's costly. It's going to be painful. It's going to be risky. But I can assure you on the other side of it, you're going to be finding yourself eating at the king's table continually. You're going to find restoration of everything you've ever lost. You're going to find fellowship like you've never found it before. You're going to find a whole new level of relationship with the Lord.
you can just forgive. And you know, some it might be impossible because they've gone on. But you can forgive them now. Others, if you really went to them and, and shared, it might be more dangerous. So you don't have to do that. You can ask, you can do forgiveness right now. The presence of the Lord, you can grant forgiveness to them. Are you ready? Let's stand in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. For just a moment, silently, we stay before the Lord, our eyes shut. While the Holy Spirit begins to move through each of these aisles again. He's manifested healing in the physical body already. He's manifested healing through the outpouring of his gifts at this altar just a moment ago. Now he's here to begin to heal some damaged emotions. I want you to see that person in your mind right now that you know you really need to grant forgiveness to. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit right now. Say, Holy Spirit, I need your help. I really don't want to do this. But I want to glorify God. I want to be a blessing to God. I want my life to be free right now. So I ask you, Holy Spirit, to help me in my infirmity. To grant forgiveness to someone that I know does not deserve it. But I'm ready now to give them forgiveness. With that person's image in your mind, I want you to say it with your mouth. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you of all debt. You owe me absolutely nothing. I don't need an apology. I don't need an explanation. Don't need a reason. I forgive you. The debt is wiped clean. The account has been settled. Hallelujah. I sense it's happening across this congregation right now. I don't care how small you think it is or how big it is. I want you to do this. That your prayers will be answered. That your sins that you'll be forgiven. That the enemy will no longer have a place in your life. And that you will be an example in this dark world of what God wants us to do. Just give him praise for a moment. Just thank him for the forgiveness that he's given you. We didn't deserve it. We have it. He has changed us. He has transformed us. He has forgiven us of all of our sins he who knew no sin became sin that we who were sinners might know the righteousness of Jesus Christ hallelujah
Give it just a moment. I sense a little struggle in the house of the Lord right now. It's a tremendous pain that you've been through. We know that. I tell you in the spirit, you can't go forward until you forget those things which are behind you. Holy Spirit, give them the breakthrough right now in the name of Jesus. Praise him, saints. Praise him. Let's just thank him for his goodness. Hallelujah. 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 There is liberation. Peace like a river. 